In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. And if I may just get right to the point this morning, or the three points. One, Christ is king. Point two, you're not king. And, but then three, well, but yeah, in a sense, kind of you are king. Okay, so stay with me. First, Christ is king. Consider just how king he is in John's gospel. Though Jesus eludes a crowd back in chapter 6 of John's gospel that wants to force him to become king, his feeding of the 5,000 there demonstrates that he is the good shepherd of his people. Later at his trial, Jesus makes sure that, Pilate's, uh, that Pilate understands that yes, he is indeed a king, though not from here. And then in John's soaring perspective, and remember the church's symbol for John is the eagle, Jesus' crucifixion is ironically a coronation. Pilate's sign atop the cross tells the truth. The king of the Jews. And when the chief priests demand the sign be corrected to say, instead, uh, this man said, I am king of the Jews, Pilate refuses. He says simply, what I have written, I have written. Pilate knows, and so do we. Jesus is king. The truly favorite of the strong one of Israel that we read about or heard sung so beautifully in Psalm, one, in Psalm, in, for, uh, uh, in Psalm 132. He's here. At last, the righteous branch of David has come. At last, Yahweh is righteous, rules. At last, Emmanuel, God with us, is with us. At last, one worthy of the name Jesus, which means Yah saves, is saving. The truly good shepherd reigns and cares for his flock. The king who is greater than the Solomon whom Zadok anointed about whom our choir will sing later, one greater than that Solomon is here. Long live the king indeed. That's why week after week, we give thanks for the Eucharistic feast that Jesus inaugurated back in John chapter 6, when he took the loaves and offered thanks for them and gave them out for the people's nourishment. Week after week, he continues to nourish his people as the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. He meets us as king in the bread of his body and the wine of his blood. There at this table, he renews his gracious kingly reign and nourishes his flock. And that's amazing and it's astounding and it's wonderful and it's why we're here today. But then, too, if Jesus is king, you're not. You, my friend, are not bread for the world. You're not savior of the world. You're not savior of yourself. And if I may put it bluntly, you're not the boss of you. The pandemic 
Has it not brought out the most basic and prideful instinct in us? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Now, the Corinthians that Paul wrote to, they thought they were kings. Their slogan was, we are full. We are rich. We are kings. Yeah, that's what they said about themselves. 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verse 8. Look it up. Now, of course, it would all have been couched in elegant Christianese. We are full of the Holy Spirit. We have been richly gifted with powers of the age to come. And Christ has seated us with him in the heavenly places. So, well, we can pretty much do as we please. So, in Corinth, Christians were suing other Christians to secure their rights. Because they were kings after all and entitled. People were sleeping, some people were sleeping with people they knew they weren't supposed to be sleeping with. After all, the Holy Spirit in them wanted to have joy, right? Other people in Corinth were refusing to sleep with their spouses. After all, they had all the love that they could possibly need directly from the Lord. Yeah, they were full. They were full of something, just not what they thought they were full of. And Peter echoes Paul in his rebuke of the Corinthians. When he says, look, live as free people. Live, in a word, as children of the king. Live as those who've been given dominion restored. But don't use your freedom as a cover, as a pretext for evil. Look, the world around us thinks that freedom gives us the right to unbounded self expression. And may I submit, there may be no greater challenge for believers in our world, and I'm thinking primarily of believers who live in the first world democracies, people like you and me, no greater challenge for people like you and me than living with all the benefits of political, social, and economic liberty that we have. Nobody can tell me what to do. Oh, yeah. That is a slogan of our time. But there's nothing more anti-Christian, nothing more contrary to the whole life that the New Testament is shouting to us and offering us graciously than that. The freedom we have in Jesus Christ is a freedom to serve. Here's the thing. Jesus can and does tell you and me what to do. He's an inveterate meddler if we will but listen for the voice of our good shepherd. You are not, according to Jesus, the boss of you. Not of your wallet, not of your career, not of your portfolio, not of your leisure time. The best thing I ever did Contrary to many of my personal instincts and proclivities as a worshiper of Jesus and his Father by the Spirit, was to enter a church life like this one that says, 
hey, when you get up in the morning every day, read these passages, not the passages of your own whim. Wear these clothes to lead worship, not clothes, so I can't even get them lined up. Okay. Wear these clothes to lead worship, not clothes that show you are a snob, either of the fashionista or the countercultural stripe. Hide your identity in the garb of Christ, a servant of Christ, so that people may be led to worship not you but him. Sing these songs that are about the greatness of God, not songs about how great I feel about singing about God. Point three. Then again, if Jesus is king, you kind of are too. John says it, John sets us up for it in today's passage from Revelation. To him who loves us and frees us, freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But he takes a further, more striking step and states things more clearly and more boldly at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 22, after he has described the loveliness of the, the new city of Jerusalem, the bride of Christ coming down from heaven. And he describes the river of life that flows through it and the trees that, uh, bring, that bring healing to the nation, sort of a, a restoration of the beauty and the glory of Eden plus, because now it's a great city. He talks about what, the, the bene, what benefits there are to us personally as we stand before the throne of God and, the, and of the Lamb and worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and listen to this, they, the servants, will reign forever and ever. What John says will be personal benefits for us, frankly, outstrips my capacity even to imagine them. What does it mean to see the face of the invisible God? Well, unless perhaps John means we see his image bearer, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. God's name on our foreheads means we will have been forever claimed as God's forever possession. And then there's the notion that we will reign forever and ever. That can only mean that life in that new Jerusalem will not be static in a vast universe that will be emerging from the cloud of dissolution and decay we, you and I, we little people, we will have dominions to explore and tasks that renew the mandate to our original parents, subdue and have dominion. As C.S. Lewis observes, if you and I, if we could see a redeemed person now as they will be then, we would be tempted to fall down and worship them. For they will be, he says, everlasting splendors. They will look like gods and they will rule. 
Well, the question is, how do we get from here to there? Glad you asked. This is a two-part answer. First, of course, is to rule ourselves. Just remember point two. You're not really king. He's king. Second, the second way to get from here to there is to accept every task as a call to exercise Christ's dominion as he would see fit in the now. You and I are part of the answer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As Abraham Kuyper, Kuyper was uh, a Dutch educator, then labor organizer, and eventually prime minister in Holland. As Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence. Not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. This one who calls everything mine, he calls you and me by his grace to exercise a share of that dominion. Pointing as best we can, where, whenever we can, and wherever we can, to his lordship and his kingly shepherding care. Am I called to be a professor? If so, I'm called to master the discipline. And then where I am, able to point to the light that Christ is. Am I called to be a student? I'm called to learn, as Psalm 36, 9 says, to see the light in your light. Or as astronomer Johann Kepler would go on to say, to think God's thoughts after him. Am I called to law? The practice thereof or the enforcement thereof? If so, I'm called to see myself as bending a stubbornly fallen world toward justice, toward that which is right. Bringing as much of Christ's light into dark places as by his grace I am able. Remembering always that I'm dealing with people who are fragile bearers of God's image and who know it no matter how deeply they bury the fact, no matter how badly they mar the glory for which they were made, knowing that I may be their only window to get a glimpse of it. Plug in whatever you may be called to. Homemaker, executive, middle-level manager, bank president, don't matter. How about if I'm called to retirement? There too, I'm called to bear Christ's royal image. There are hobbies I can pursue that express the creativity that God made us for. There are places I can volunteer, ministries I can support that show Christ's kingly shepherding care. At the very least, I can show that nobody is a discard. Paying attention to the lonely and forgotten people around me. Even just being willing to see them and give them someone to talk to. The Lord be with you. Almighty and eternal God, by your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King,
we ask you so to draw our hearts to you, so to guide our minds, so to fill our imaginations, so to control our wills that we may be wholly yours. And in your son, utterly dedicated to you. And then use us, we pray you as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people. Through our Lord, our King, our Savior and friend, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.